The Passion of Our Lord Jesus Christ According to John. You may be seated for the length of the Passion. After they had eaten the supper, Jesus went out with his disciples to the, across the Kidron Valley to a place where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew this place because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas brought a detachment of soldiers together with police from the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that was to happen to him, came forward and asked them, Whom are you looking for? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, Whom are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I told you that I am he. So if you're looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. I did not lose a single one of those to whom you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword back into its sheath. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the soldiers, their officer, and the Jewish police arrested Jesus and bound him. First, them, first they took him to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest of the year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was better to have one person die for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter was standing outside at the gate. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the woman who guarded the gate, and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, You are not also one of that man's disciples, are you? Peter said, I am not. Now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing around it warming themselves. Peter was also standing and warming himself. Then the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the police standing nearby struck Jesus on the face, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? 
If I've spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. But if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They asked him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, the cock crowed. Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the headquarters so as not to avoid ritual defilement and to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered, If this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. They replied, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill what Jesus had said when he indicated the kind of death he was to die. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? You asked this on your own, or did others tell you about me? I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. So, you are a king? You say that I'm a king. For this I was born. And for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. What is truth? After he had said this, Pilate went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case against him, but you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? They shouted in reply, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a bandit. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no case against him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When the chief priests saw and the police saw him, they shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. They answered him, 
we have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he has claimed to be the son of God. Now, when Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. He entered his headquarters again and asked Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have the power to release you and the power to crucify you? You have no power over me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself against the emperor. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside and sat on the judge's bench at a place called the Stone Pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about noon. Pilate said to the Jews, Here is your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate asked them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but the emperor. Then Pilate handed Jesus over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, with Jesus between them. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the people read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. The chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews. But this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. They also took his tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who will get it. This was to fulfill what the scripture says. They divided my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. And that is what the soldiers did. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. After this, 
When Jesus knew that all was now finished, in order to fulfill the scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus received the wine, he said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Please kneel. Please stand. Since it was the day of preparation, the Jews did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, especially because that Sabbath was a day of great solemnity. So they asked Pilate to have the legs of the crucified men bro broken and the bodies removed. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified so that you may also believe his testimony is true, and he knows that he tells the truth. These things occurred so that the scripture might be fulfilled. None of his bones shall be broken. And again, another passage of scripture says, they will look on the one whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, though a secret one because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and removed his body. Nicodemus, who at first come to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, weighing about a hundred weight. They took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with the spices in linen cloths according to the burial custom of the Jews. Now there was a, bar a garden in the place where he was crucified, and in the garden there was a new tomb which no one had ever been laid. And so, because it was the Jewish day of preparation and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Jesus teaches us how to suffer. Jesus teaches us how to suffer. There is an old Romanian legend that tells of a group of soldiers who lost, who got lost one winter's night in a blinding snowstorm. 
They did, know where, did not know where to turn, so they camped for the night. But the bitter cold made their tiny fire almost useless. There was no wood, no trees, and no fences. They would have freeze to death if they didn't find something to burn. One of them volunteered to forage for fuel. He wandered off and was soon hidden in the swirling snow. He stumbled into a graveyard and finally found a wooden cross. Their extreme need prompted him to take it. Reverence told him not to. At last he dragged it into the huddled crowd. The leader spoke, we can't burn a cross, no matter how much we need the heat. One by one, the men dropped off to sleep, all except the youth who had found the wooden cross. As in a daze, he sat out the long hours of the night. Suddenly, he saw the light faint and weak. It was moving toward him. At last, he made out a figure. Jesus, carrying a large cross. He walked up and laid his cross on the fire's dying embers. The jumping flames and the burning heat awakened the others. The leader demanded, who put the wooden cross on the fire? But the youth who had seen Christ do it was kneeling in the snow, staring into the darkness as if he saw someone. When we put our faith in the meaning Christ wants to give to the cross, as the soldiers did, by treating it reverently, it becomes a blazing fire of wisdom and of love, melting and overcoming all the cold indifference and self-centeredness that deadens our hearts. Amen? Amen. Death, suffering, and sorrow were not part of God's original plan for humanity. They only showed up after original sin. By cutting off the human family from the source of harmony, peace, and justice, God confronted original sin, opened the door by where original sin had opened the door to disharmony, strife, and injustice. And so those things, because of original sin, entered our world. In the face of this changing situation, God our loving God, our Father in heaven, sent a Savior, Jesus Christ, who took all of our guilt 
our suffering and our pain upon himself. And he continues to do so. He experienced it in his own body and soul, which is how he redeemed each one of us. Yet it is true, and it is, then we are left with a question. If sin was the source of suffering, and Jesus took our suffering upon himself to save us from sin, why do we still suffer? Why do we still suffer? Why is there still disharmony, strife, and injustice if Jesus had atoned fully for all humanity's sins? This is an important question, and it has a meaningful answer. Jesus just doesn't save us from suffering. He saves us through suffering. Amen? Amen? Jesus teaches us by his example how to find meaning and purpose in our sufferings by using them as a springboard for trusting God, trusting fully in God. In today's psalm, we glimpse what was happening in Jesus' heart as he hung on that cross. He said, I am like a dish that is broken. This describes how horrible he feels in body and soul. Yet then he confides in God, into your hands I commend my spirit. Take courage and be stout-hearted, all you who hope in the Lord. When God permits us to suffer and suffering in our lives, God wants us to teach us to let him let Jesus be our Savior. To lean more fully on him. Full weight on him. Just as Jesus depended on his loving Father during the darkest day in human history. So, how can we learn from this? How can we apply something to this? Jesus, as I said, did not save us from suffering. He saved us through suffering. In this fallen world, we automatically know how to deal with all the good things, the beauties of nature, the healthy pleasures of family life and friendship, the joys of culture, and a job well done. The good things don't give us trouble. Yet the sufferings, the injustices, the sorrows, that's where we need help. All of us, and I include myself, 
through his example of trusting fully in his father and forgiving his enemies, even while hanging on a cross, who was being smothered. He was, his body was, was imploding upon him. Hanging on that cross, Jesus gives us that help. One concrete way for us to follow Jesus' example is to use a prayer that he taught us about a hundred years ago. When Jesus gave the divine mercy revelations to St. Faustina, he explained that his mercy is all-powerful more than capable of overcoming sins and even healing us from the damage caused by others' sins and the sorrows that come up to us in this fallen world. And he taught us a simple prayer that we could use to grasp onto his hand, to grasp onto the hand of Jesus, Whenever the storms of life overwhelm us and overpower us, it's a short prayer, easy to remember, just four words. I say that prayer every day, a hundred times a day. And that prayer is, Jesus, I trust in you. I don't trust in the world, I trust in you because he trusted his Father, God our Father. That prayer is a shield for us. It will not protect us from experiencing life's inevitable sufferings and sorrows, yet it will help us to find meaning and purpose when we experience those things the meaning and purpose that only, only Jesus Christ can give them. As we commemorate this holiest of days on which Jesus proved there is no limit to his love and that sin and sorrow cannot extinguish it or smother it, Let's renew our trust in him every day. Countless moments throughout the day. And as we continue with this powerful and beautiful liturgy, let's keep repeating in the depths of our hearts the simple prayer that will unlock the treasury of divine strength and courage. Jesus, I trust in you. Amen.